Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for coming into this world and as we read uh, about these early days of your ministry, we thank you for men like John who have recorded them for us, who you inspired with your words uh, to help us understand who you are, to help us understand your purposes uh, for life and understand your plans for this creation of yours. Lord, as we spend time in it this morning, uh, by your Spirit, please move amongst us, uh, teach us, uh, reveal truths that uh, perhaps we've heard before, perhaps are new to us, uh, but remind us of their significance and use your word, we pray, uh, by your Spirit to change us uh, into the likeness of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Uh, well, love it or hate it, one thing that social media has done for the world is, is opened up a Pandora's box uh, of ways of sharing good news, hasn't it? Uh, back in the day, uh, a simple, uh, a simple um, uh, newspaper announcement was the, the appropriate place uh, to share uh, good news. Uh, back in the day, a newspaper article, we've all seen them, the, the, the announcements uh, in the newspaper saying uh, the birth uh, of a child or a, uh, a, uh, an engagement uh, has been announced. But not now, not now that we have Facebook and Twitter and, and Instagram uh, to share such news. The possibilities are endless, but we're in a constant competition to, to outdo ourselves uh, with, with announcement, now to do each other in uh, effort and in cheesiness, in, uh, in class or in cringeworthiness. We can use our pets uh, to share uh, announcements. We can, uh, we can use our offspring to share. I've seen pictures of you know, the babies lined up with you know, mum and dad and, and, and offspring one and then a, a blank thing. We can use our offspring. I've seen pictures uh, where we use pets and offspring uh, to make announcements. We can be cryptic and witty and funny and cute. We can make up uh, photos. I've seen people make up whole movies to make announcements uh, of, a, of a pending birth or an announcement, uh, an engagement. Sharing exciting news is a complex and, and time-consuming business in this new world of social media because let's be honest, we want to we do it in a way that, that people enjoy and not in a way that makes them turn away in horror. Uh, we want to share good news and we want to share it well. We want to share good news and we want to share it well, don't we? Uh, this morning we jump back into our series on the church that Jesus builds. Uh, we've looked at who we are. Uh, the church is the gathering or the assembly of God's chosen people, His, His treasured possession. And because of who we are and and who God is, we can be confident in grace and bold in prayer and ready for making Jesus known. That's what we unpacked at our big day out a month or so ago. But we're not gathered or assembled by God for no particular reason. We're assembled uh, for a purpose. We're assembled first to connect in, uh, to connect in with God. Uh, that was the first thing we looked at in praise and worship of Him and for Him to speak to us and to connect in uh, with each other. Uh, as we connect in with God and connect with each other, we're also built up in godliness or Christ-likeness. We're built up uh, in service. This morning we delve into the third and final purpose uh, for His treasured possession, the church. Uh, our purpose as God's people uh, is to reach out, isn't it? To reach out. 
Last week, Russell spoke on reaching out globally uh, at the combined service next week, as I've already spoken about. Uh, We're going to talk about reaching out to those in need. But this morning, we want to look a little closer to home. Uh, We want to see what the Bible says about reaching out locally. See, we want to be reaching out to our neighbour. When Jesus speaks his final words to the disciples at the start of the book of Acts, he doesn't just say, you'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth, does he? He says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And then in a wider circle to Judea and Samaria, and then you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. But it starts at home. It starts in Jerusalem. Uh, It starts with our neighbour. We have this wonderful news. Uh, We are told to share it. We want to share it. And we want to share it well. So how do we do that? Well, this morning, as we've seen, we're going to turn to John 1. Uh, as we unpack God's purposes for His church in reaching out to our neighbour. And the first thing that I want you to see is that reaching out really is a priority of the Gospel. Uh, We know from places like Matthew 28 and Acts 1 uh, that we we are to go and make disciples. Uh, We can quote uh, Romans 10, who's quoting Isaiah 52, how beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news. But John, perhaps more than any other, makes bearing witness and bearing testimony and testifying to the gospel a key theme of his gospel. Have a look at John 1 with me. Uh, We're going to go back to the start of it. And notice that Jesus came into the world to bear witness to God. In the beginning was the Word, we read. The Word was with God and the Word was God. It did all the things at creation that God did. And then in verse 14, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling amongst us. And it's this Word become flesh down in verse 18 that has made the Father known. See, Jesus is God and has come to make God and God's grace known to us. Jesus came to make God known, to bear witness to God, to reveal God to us, to bear witness to Him. Jesus came to reach out to those in need. And as Jesus' life and death and resurrection unfold in the Gospels, it's quite clear that that reaching out to those around Him was at the heart of Jesus' ministry and purpose. Reaching out was at the heart of who Jesus was and what Jesus did. It was also at the heart of who John the Baptist was, wasn't it? Uh, We read in John 1 from verses 6 and 7 uh, that there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, uh, to testify and bear witness to Jesus so that through him, through Jesus, all might believe. Like Jesus... John's purpose was to bear witness and to testify to who Jesus was so that people might believe and be saved. John's purpose was to reach out. And adding further weight to the argument from the passage that we've just had read to us, the first thing that Andrew does in verse 40, having spent an afternoon with Jesus, is he goes and grabs his brother. Likewise, Philip, down in verse 45, goes immediately and grabs Nathaniel. Their immediate response to having met Jesus, having been called by Jesus, having been gathered and assembled by Jesus, 
isn't to hang around together, but to go out. To reach out to those that they know. And so at the very start of John's Gospel, in chapter 1, we see God graciously coming into this world to make himself known and make his plans known. And at the very start of that ministry, he sends John the Baptist in the world to bear witness to him. And each of the disciples responds to Jesus by bearing witness to Jesus. Witnessing and testifying are key themes that keep coming up in John's Gospel. And reaching out with the Gospel is clearly at the heart of God's purposes for his people. But my experience is that I don't need to convince a lot of Christians that that's the case. I've met a couple uh, that I do that think they don't have the gift of evangelism so they don't have to do it. Uh, But there aren't many. Uh, We know that we have good news. We want to share good news and we want to share it well. Our biggest issue really is not knowing what to say or thinking that we don't know what to say. We fear not having answers, don't we? We fear looking foolish. We fear turning people away from God instead of turning people to God because of what we say or how we say it. And I want to say to you that those feelings are normal. In some ways to be expected, but they're also, I want to say to you, unnecessary. And I want to show you from John 1 why. By looking at what John the Gospel writer, John the Baptist and the disciples bear witness to and how they do it. So what is it that they bear witness to? Well, they bear witness to Jesus, obviously. And the first thing that they tell us is that Jesus is both God and man. Uh, He is God. Uh, As we've read, John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh. Or in verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, has made him known. These men clearly testify and understand to the fact that Jesus is God. But they also knew and they wanted to make known that Jesus was a man. It's obvious in in verse 14, uh, when we read the word became flesh. It's even more obvious when we get down to verse 19 to 51 that we looked at. Uh, Look at what we read there, Uh, verse 26, uh, among you stands one you do not know. Verse 29, John saw Jesus coming towards him. Verse 33, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain. Verse 36, he saw Jesus passing by. Verse 39, they spent that day with him. Verse 42, he brought him to Jesus. Verse 45, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of God, no, the son of Joseph. Verse 46, come and see. See, Jesus is flesh and blood. He stood amongst them. He walked by them. He spent time with people. He was Joseph's son. You could go and see him. Jesus is flesh and blood. A man. He's God, the one that existed with God in the beginning, the one through whom all things were created, but he is God here on earth, flesh and blood. J.I. Packer says in his book, Knowing God, that the really staggering Christian claim is that Jesus of Nazareth was God made man. 
And everything else that this passage says about Jesus is magnified, is more glorious when we grasp the truth that Jesus of Nazareth is God and man. So that's the first thing they bear witness to. Uh, The next thing John the Baptist tells us starts in verse 29, uh, where we read this amazing declaration. Uh, He says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He repeats the declaration in verse 36, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now don't be put off by the language. John was using language very familiar to his largely Jewish audience. Uh, it would trigger memories of Genesis 22, Abraham on the, on the cusp of sacrificing Isaac, his, his only son, Isaac, who was the one in whom all God's promises would be to fill. God, God says, stop, Abraham, now I know that you fear me because you have not withheld your only son. And Abraham looks up and there was a ram provided by God. It would, it would trigger memories of ex, uh, Exodus 12 and Leviticus 16, the, the lambs and goats of the sacrificial system, memories of Isaiah 53, the suffering servant led like a lamb to the slaughter. This was familiar language to make the point that Jesus takes away the sin of the world. In the person of Jesus, this lamb of God, John testifies, sin is dealt with once for all. It's an incredible claim to make that in this person, Jesus, the sin is dealt with once for all. But it also only tells half the story. John's testimony continues from verse 32. Uh, John gave this testimony, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I myself didn't know him, but, but the one who sent me to baptise with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptise with the Holy Spirit. Again, don't be put off by the language. We read the language, it's a bit confusing, isn't it? Don't be put off by the language. It was familiar to the audience coming out to meet John the Baptist. What John is saying is that Jesus is the anointed one of God, the one who will anoint others. When Andrew declares to Peter in verse 41 that we found the Messiah, the Christ, he's saying the same thing. He's saying that Jesus is not only the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, but he's God's King and our Messiah and Saviour that rescues us from it. That Jesus not only deals with sin, he rescues us from it. And so these men have borne witness to who Jesus is, haven't they? That he is man and that he's God and what Jesus came to do, to rescue us from sin and save us from it. It's a big claim to be made that that in this man Jesus that walked amongst them and ate with them, they had found the one that not only deals with sin and all the rubbish that goes on in this world because of it, but saves us from the consequences of it, restoring us to God. But that's the claim being made. And then finally, the last thing that they tell us, the last thing they tell us is how we're saved. It's not by good works, it's not by obedience to the law, but by grace in verse 17. God's unmerited favour in sending His Son to rescue us from sin. We are saved by grace, through believing in what Jesus has done. 
verse 7 and verse 12. So three things really that these men bore witness to. Three things they bore witness to. Who Jesus is, he's man and God, what he came to do, save us from sin and how we're saved by grace through faith. They use language that's really familiar to their audience but really they just explain those three key truths. Who Jesus is, what he came to do, how you can be saved. We fear that we don't know what to say but it's a pretty simple message really, isn't it? It's a pretty simple message. Who Jesus is, what he came to do, how we're saved. It doesn't need to be more complicated than that. How does that help us reaching out locally to those around us? Uh, Well, in a number of ways, I think. Uh, But before we get to that, it's also worth reminding ourselves of our role in the process. See, John the Baptist understood his role uh, and he's a wonderful example of humility as he steps to the side for the glory of God. See, he understood this is God's work and he demonstrates a willingness to get out of the limelight for God's glory. Uh, We can't get away from the fact that John had a fantastic ministry going on. He was chosen by God for a specific task and an incredibly important task to prepare people for the coming of God and he had such an impact that the priests and Levites came to him to see if he was the Messiah. Clearly his ministry was going well. Harrison's going well as we lose light. Harrison's going well. I haven't had anyone come and ask me if I'm the Messiah yet, right? This, This is how good his ministry is going people were coming to him to see if he was the Messiah, people were were responding, crowds of people were coming to him in repentance and being baptised and he caught the attention of the religious leaders, yet look at his response to their questions from verse 20, are you the Messiah? I'm not the Messiah, are you Elijah? No, I'm not, are you the prophet? No, so his responses keep getting shorter and shorter, he doesn't want the spotlight on him, that's not his job, When pushed, he finally tells us where he sees himself in the picture. I'm just a voice, in verse 23. I'm not even worthy to untie the laces of Jesus' shoes, the most menial task of a servant. John the Baptist just wants to get out of the scene. His job is to point people to Jesus. And it's worth keeping in the back of our minds, isn't it? Even when our ministry is good, Even when it points people to Jesus, as John's did, it is God's work and it is all for God's glory. John the Baptist didn't step aside from his job, but he made sacrifices. He let his people go, his disciples go. He recognised his place in God's plans and he just got on with the task of faithfully pointing people to Christ. We need to remember our place and our role in God's plans. As for practical implications for us reaching out to those in need, the first I think is to take the time to find out where people are at. Uh, It's interesting isn't it that that none of the disciples, John the Baptist or John the Gospel writer, spend any time arguing the case for God's existence. They don't spend any time explaining what sin is or that we're all 
sinful people. They say Jesus deals with sin, but there's no explanation of what sin is or that we're all sinful people. See, they understood where people were at. John the Baptist can just throw out the line, I've seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Just throw out the line, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And people knew what he was talking about. Philip just told Nathaniel that they'd found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and about who all the prophets also wrote. Mention that today, people wouldn't have a clue what you were talking about. But, but Andrew tells that to Peter. Sorry, Andrew tells Peter that we've found the Messiah, that's all he says. We'll try that one today, people will think the latest sporting star to save their sporting team has rocked up in town or someone like that. But John and Andrew and Philip can get away with it because they understood where people were at and they spoke to them in language that they got. We need to take the time to understand where people were at. It means we need to listen to people and not just come at them with, with answers to questions that they don't have. It means we have to value people and what God has done and is doing in their lives and that takes time. And it takes patience and humility. But it saves time as well because we don't spend four hours explaining to a Jew that God exists. Because he knows God exists. We don't have to explain things 15 times because we keep using language that no one understands. Take the time to find out where people were at and address them where they're at using language that they understand. Uh, another lesson we might learn comes from the response of Philip and Andrew as they introduce their friends to Jesus. Now, I know, as we've already mentioned, that this can be hard, that most of us fear saying the wrong thing or fear saying it in the wrong way. Talking about Jesus is hard uh, and it's made harder by Christians being pushed further and further to the edges of today's society. Your faith at best should be a private thing, not to be shared around, most people will tell you. But... But we've also all experienced what it's like to share exciting news, haven't we? And important news. And this is the most exciting and important news that we will ever get to share and even more uh, important than the birth of a baby or an engagement. And all Christians, all Christians, uh, including you and me, are given the task of sharing it. You can't sit in the chairs and tell me that it's not your gift so you don't have to do it. God has given this responsibility to us all. Now, I find talking to friends outside of church about Jesus hard. I, it might sound weird coming from the minister, but it's true. I find it difficult. Uh, but there's great encouragement I draw, and you should as well, from Andrew and Philip. And the encouragement is this. Uh, they speak to people that they know. They speak to their family. They speak to their friends. The disciples speak to people that they've got friendships with. Now, I have friends... And I have family that don't know Jesus as their Lord. And so I don't need to walk up to strangers in the street. I can speak to people I already know and speak to them about the things that are important to me. That's what we do all the time, isn't it? We speak about the things that are important to us. About our families, about our work, about our hobbies. We talk about the things that we love and the things that are important to us. Add God into that mix. Because we love Him and He's important to us. And he gives us exciting news we want to share. But be encouraged as well, as we've already gone through in some depths, that the, the disciples don't say anything complicated. 
They haven't learnt two ways to live or any other gospel tracks. They aren't trying to get through this amazing presentation to their friends. They simply say, we've found the Messiah. Let me introduce you to him. Don't overcomplicate things. Jesus, who he is, what he's done, how to be saved. That's the message we want to get out there. It doesn't have to be any more complicated than that. Introducing people to Jesus can be difficult and yet some respects it is as simple as having a conversation. So remember our place in the process, take the time to find out where people are at, keep it simple. But there's something for us to take from this passage that's even more significant than those three things. And I'll finish on this. The final thing to take from this passage is the grace of God. So what stands out in this passage is that God, the creator of the universe, the sovereign almighty God has come into the world as a man, Jesus the Christ, and he has chosen these ordinary men to be integral in the growth of his church. John the Baptist, out in the desert, out in the wilderness, just a voice, no more than a voice, he tells us. Andrew, one of John's disciples, talks to his brother about Jesus, which leads arguably to the most significant conversion in the history of the church. Peter, Andrew's brother. We know so many of Peter's faults, don't we? We know so many of the times he gets it wrong and stuffs it up. Jesus sees the one on whom the church will be built. Philip, an ordinary guy who Jesus personally seeks out and says, follow me. Nathaniel, the sceptic, can anything good come from Nazareth? The converted, you are the son of God. So these are ordinary people. There's nothing particularly spectacular about them. They are ordinary people like us. They had their life changed when they grasped who this man Jesus was. My hope and prayer for each of you this morning is simply that by the grace of God you grasp who Jesus is. As we walk out this door this morning, as we uh, make decisions as to how we live our lives during the week, don't, don't be burdened by God's desire for us to lead humble lives pointing people to following Christ. Don't be burdened by what God has asked us to do. Grasp the grace of God. Grasp the grace of God in coming into his creation to make it right with him. Grasp the grace of God in uh, the simple truth of God become flesh. Grasp the grace of God in choosing ordinary people like us to be his disciples, to know and love him and respond. Respond in humility and in obedience. So we all have exciting news to share. We want to share it and we want to share it well. We want to reach out to those locally and tell them of God's love and grace and mercy. Remember your role in the process. Find out where they're at. Keep it simple and rely on God's grace as we live out God's purposes for His church to reach out to those around us. Let's pray. A great God and Heavenly Father, we um, want to thank you more than anything for coming into this world and revealing yourself to us, revealing your plans for us and your plans for this creation. 
Thank you for opening our eyes to the truth of it by your grace. And Lord, each and every one of us can think of those we know, those we love, those we spend time with during the week who don't know you, who continue to rebel, continue to reject you. Lord, we want to pray for them now. Lord, we want to pray that you would give us opportunities to speak to them of this amazing and exciting news that we have. Lord, we want to pray that you would give us simple words, but words that they understand, that point people to you. Lord, give us those words as when the times arrive, that you might be glorified in all things. Amen.